Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. Here's a question. Is the body swallowed in fabric to hide or to hold it? This program features the work of 2021 writer Abby Polikoff. In the first half, you'll hear her conversation with curator E.J. Coe. Welcome, Abby. Thank you for being here to chat about your work. Can you tell us about your Jack Straw project? Sure. Hi, E.J. I am working on a collection of poems that is a womaning. It's a reclaiming of agency and voice and often using an eco-poetic lens. So using a lot of nature, a lot of landscape to describe and capture an experience of becoming. It's so great to hear you speak about reclaiming agency, reclaiming voice and power as a woman. Can you uh, tell us a bit more about it? I think in so many ways, my experience of being a woman and being a body, I really first learned how to do that through the expectations that were put on me by other people, whether that's society, whether that's other people in my life. And I've been on on a journey in the past few years, especially to really figure out what that means for me and who I am and how to respect myself and how to respect my body and how to be a woman if that's a word that I'm claiming for myself. So I've been kind of teasing out that journey through poems and, you know, I guess working to to see what it means on the page as well as in my own practice. That's really amazing to hear about the theme and the subject of being and holding space as a woman. And another part of your work, I'm struck by the sound, the rhythm, the musicality of your work. And how does sound function? I feel like sound is so important. And with Jack Straw's training of of working with sound and audio, was really important to me because I I do feel like sound is so important across the course of a poem. It creates its own landscape in addition to semantic meaning. And where you have breaks in breath, where you have alliteration or assonance, the tools of language and the texture of language contributes, I think, its own its own experience alongside the meanings of the words themselves. It's almost like that sound is also a part of that voice being reclaimed for women, Mm. you know, um, and being in a woman's body. I'd love to hear how you see that relationship between voice and sound, the way we talked about, and sort of the everyday life of a woman, how that plays into just the everyday. I've been thinking about this too in the presence of like 
woman in presence of other people, right? When you're in relation to each other or even just talking with yourself, you have volume, you have speed, you have breath, you have rhythm. You have these tools to communicate emotion and feeling. And you can say certain things and use different words to say them and have a completely different tonal impact. And I think that this attention to to word choice and not just nuance of meaning, but also nuance of sound can change an experience. It can change a relationship. It can change how you're perceived and how you're responded to. And I think in, in many ways, you know, women in today's world, and of course I can't speak for everyone, but there's so much attention to gender dynamic and a need to reclaim space as a woman in any sort of situation. And I think for me, thinking about this musicality or this attention in in poems is almost a way for me to practice what I feel like I need to be doing in my own life. I wonder if we go way back to the beginning, I mean, what led you to writing? Mm. (laughs) I mean, it was always a really great interior space. I feel like you know, in, in elementary school, I always loved the creative writing projects when you get to write a poem or, you know, write a story. And I think that, you know, as I got older, that transformed into journaling, not all the time and not obsessively, but, you know, it was definitely having having pen on, on paper was really wonderful. And then in my undergrad program, I studied a lot of languages and I was focusing a lot in the early 1900s, the avant-garde movements of primarily, you know, France and Italy, but also across the world. And I was in a great poetry workshop led by Andy Stallings. And it really cracked open for me what language can do. And it le- it gave me room to play in a way that I hadn't really played with with language before. And I think that was when I started to find my way into poems and into poetry and put me more on the path that I'm currently exploring. I'd love to hear more about, you know, what are the languages you studied? How does learning a language, how did that affect how you wrote poetry, how you approach poetry? I studied for years in elementary school and then through through high school and college, uh, I learned French. And then I also learned Italian as well. And have studied both of those. And I think that, you know, I hadn't really thought about this before, but each of those languages sits in a different place in the mouth, right? Italian sits really wide. You're always smiling when you're speaking. And French often sits almost at either end. It sits really towards the front of the mouth or like along the way back, but it's, it doesn't really sit. And then English is kind of like on like the top of the palate. And I think that the learning how to move your mouth in different ways to make different sounds and different words, it creates a different kind of attention into the language themselves. And I, I may be making this connection now as we're talking, but I wonder if that's where my fascination with sound has come from in terms of thinking about 
what a poem can be of its own linguistic play. I was thinking about what home means and what it means to have home. And I was thinking about, you know, what that ideal space is and what that feeling is of knowing that you have you have a home of yours. And I think I was kind of finding my way into that experience through the language of this and through the different the different ways of approaching it through wind, through earth. And it used to exist in less choppier, punctuated phrases. And when I was creating these threads across the course of the project, I realized that there were certain poems that had an exploration or a sense of of recognition or reclaiming. And there was also a tension in that claiming. And so the hesitancy of the breath, I think, was something that I wanted to work into each of these pieces. I love what you say about the breath and also the sort of stalling I hear when you read. It's it's sort of the start and stop and the the way it it it, it sort of dictates the way we move and understand the language of home as something accumulating. And um, I really love what you said about this being a way to think about home and language as a way to get there. And I'd love to ask you about your work in the literary community. I feel like you have been such a presence sort of throughout uh, and across several communities here in Seattle. Um, can you tell me about that? Thank you. Yeah, I I think community is so important. And I feel like especially in the literary world, that reciprocity and that generosity, I think, is so important. I mean, I'm here and I'm, you know, writing poems sometimes and trying to, you know, be a part of this world both as a as a writer but I think it also for me to take up space as a writer in this community I also want to be able to open up space for other writers so I help you know run events for open books um, to kind of let people have these spaces to to share their own work um, I also uh, serve as the managing editor for poetry Northwest editions so helping writers have space for their for their poems and for their books and finding ways to both give, if not as much, but more than what I hope to receive from the poetry world, I think is a really important balance for me to to embrace and to work towards. How do you see the literary community, the literary life of Seattle moving ahead? What do the next 10 years look like? We have the UNESCO designation and there's a big call for diversity and I do feel like people are coming together and, and responding. I mean, I can't presume to really know what what the future holds, but I, I think of the current moment where we're in and I think that the literary community, not just in Seattle, but around the world is really at a reckoning. I think that we 
have the opportunity to recognize the fact that in ways in which we have the community has wanted to be a community for everyone it it hasn't and there are people who have been who have been harmed and hurt and i think that there is a real moment that we're all kind of looking at ourselves and figuring out what that next step looks like but i think that at the same time there are a lot of folks who really do want to do that work and really want to make it a space for everyone who wants to be a part of it and i think that that is a really powerful sign and i think you know not just not just seattle's community but i think you know across across the country across the world i hope that things are changing and i can't necessarily uh, identify the the speed of that change but i feel like there is a collective consciousness that is facing itself right now. Now we'll hear a selection from Abby's live reading. Cross your legs, uncross your legs. Cross your legs, uncross your legs. Cross your legs, uncross your legs. Sit still and say, hello. The stiller, the louder. Cross your legs, uncross your legs. Cross your legs, uncross your legs. Cross your legs, uncross your legs. Don't be cross, no wonder. The ankle sits in such a curved question mark. Knee greater or less than. Cross your legs, uncross your legs. Cross your legs, uncross your legs. Cross your legs, uncross your legs. Tell yourself, stand up. Eat the plum and spit the pits. Slip and stick them under toes to sprout. Cross your legs, uncross your legs. Cross your legs, uncross your legs. Cross your legs, uncross your... These withered appendages, all dried up and prickling. No toe touch towing the legs along. Along these... Particular reminders. When dusty purple fruits breathe in the sunsets and smog of their cityscapes, that's the answer. Stems twining up splintering poles and fence posts and abandoned pianos is gesture of hurry and freeze. Who makes this body what it is? What makes this body what it's made of? is question of record and fist and pluck and palm and squeeze and pluck and skip and ooze. With such silhouettes, what gets left when lights enter the room? Their bursted juices all over an unsuspecting wrist. All over city corners, stretch, hold, hurry. Veins vine a map of smoke and defiance, throats in yellow light. Flick away dust from the skin you've seen before, unbidden orbits, the body wrapped and unwrapped, the body frozen in its glassy musics. It's not a question of streets or piano keys. It's not a question to fill veins with feathers. And wrapped and unwrapped, when these wrappings strip themselves into collage of gummed muscle, merrily melting into 
pinking bone. Here's a question. Is the body swallowed in fabric to hide or to hold it? Along the fence line, the headiness of plums in shadow in recline. Lean into it. Intertwine vines like veins, like chain link on the backs of the hands. To hold hands to themselves, keep them hidden. To breathe, keep lungs taut and trembling. To hurry, to freeze. Along these synaptic passages, a living rock. The one that laughs in the light. The one that's pushed into furrow when plowed. Cross your legs, uncross your legs, cross your legs, uncross your legs, cross your legs, uncross your legs, be tree, be grass, be rock. These synaptic passages reveal certain digital deaths, sprouting into chromatic isotopes, wrists all blue-chromed in low neon light, throat, spine spindled down to conjunction of rings and time. These synaptic passages reveal certain binary clefts, certain doctrines of cellular isthmus, ecstatic uncoupling, cross on cross, cross on cross, un... Name yourself something spring, cross, seed, uncross, and seedling, cross on cross, bloomling, and bloom. a long vulnerability of paper and consciousness. And this is a found poem, meaning that the words have been compiled from other sources. The shape you're in, projected interchangeably back to body, at once authentic and suspended. Palms like the radiant taste of granite dust, mouth like the tunnel committed to narrative, the throat, Steel-ribbed vastness, run-on sentences based in witness. Break open these simultaneous roles, this concept. Logistically, it is a kind of spandex language. Mouth with their mists of my self-making, throat cut with fragrance. Palms, this edge of please, of nothing. Hands in old silk. Every day we are told to fear our name, the first compass. Translate the canvas back to words as they seek new syntaxes, prosperous together. Each generation has music, a degree of glass that digs into starker image. The play domain is aerial, the personal space, a hundred palms falling. Cross your legs, uncross your legs, cross your legs, uncross your legs, cross your legs, uncross your legs, look up and shh. Primjawed and tongueless, tight shinned and kickless, slack palmed and slapless, little hollow hands grafting pixel to shadow. Shadow as in stripe, as in rib, as in ridge, as in furrow, as in brow, as in cool clothed and trembling, as in all the revel, all the reveal. 
Cross your legs, uncross your legs. Cross your legs, uncross your legs. Cross your legs, uncross your legs. Shadow as in tremor, as in electric treble. A slight shaking, movement, nervousness, or excitement. A slight quake. To live in ignorance is exactly what? An ageless geography. This dizzying Sisyphus that defines the tremor of knots and water. At the wrist, a turning away. At the knee, a slip toward the ankle. Tide corroded by its own salt into tangled drip light. The glinting, the glinting, the glinting, oh, the lily golden against the day and what's hungered. Against the birch-hymned absence shorn of breath and bismuth. For the wrist pressed into compass glass, crystal dinging with what's lost. For the excess of plums and the gulls that tear the tender flesh. For the vining into abdication. There's nothing here to covet. Of what's been asked across the oscillating apse, across the edge of synapse. Which question is the one to strain? all strung out in axes, asp and aspen, both sense the same direction. Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production produced by Alyssa Keene and Daniel Gunther at Jack Straw Cultural Center. Our recording engineers are Daniel Gunther, Joel Maddox, and Ayesha Ubiatilaka. Our theme music is by Andrew Weathers, produced in part through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The 2021 curator of this program is E.J. Coe, and the narrator for this podcast is Alyssa Keene. The Jack Straw Writers Program was inspired by an over-the-back fence conversation in 1996 between author Rebecca Brown and Jack Straw Executive Director Joan Rabinowitz. The program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, Humanities Washington, the National Endowment for the Arts, the Rainier Foundation, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. Special thanks to Michael Folks and Cecilia Ayers for transcribing our writers' interviews. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology. You can subscribe to this and other Jack Straw podcasts through your favorite podcast app. To hear more episodes and learn about our other programs, visit us at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening.